Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti, everyone. Welcome to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. Every day we're given an opportunity to investigate who we have become. You all know by now it's no secret I've been taking care of my mother with dementia and at the beginning it was really difficult. And the only reason why it was difficult, I didn't want to do it. I had to do it, but I didn't want to. And then I realized that the only reason why Something as simple as taking care of someone that you love becomes a difficult endeavor is your mindset, where you are in your head and the way that you're interpreting it. And I sat with God and I sat in Baba's room, my meditation room. I called Baba and I said, this isn't me. This isn't the person that you're making me. And there was something that came over me where I just came to a sense of acceptance and realization. I said, I have to do this. This is my assignment. Taking care of a parent with dementia will teach you what you've become. And that was such a powerful realization today. We are going through so many experiences. Now, that might be my story. My special guest has a different story. But we're all learning so much through the portals of these relationships, aren't we? And whatever we're going through with people, it's actually my gift, my learning experience, my process in life. And something that I've learned now more than ever, Jen, let it go. It's only my attachment to the situation that's making it seem so difficult. Can you imagine? You can be so attached to a thought form that when you look at somebody who just looked at you with that eye, when you look at them, you just feel like you want to strangle them. It's all because of a thought form, the way you're interpreting, the energy that you're feeling from that person. We've got a lot to learn about ourselves, folks, and we're in a spiritual era of doing that now. 
100 or 200 years ago, you think people were talking about energy, soul, I need me time? <laughs> they were just trying to survive. Look, our special guest today is a reoccurring friend, a wonderful trooper. And I call her a Shiv Shakti man. She's one powerful woman. Today, Simran Singh says that we are at a point in time where the scales of universal justice are rebalancing our social systems and structures through the use of crisis, chaos, and dysfunction. So true. Awareness of individual expressions of fear, obsession, and separation offers us a really window opportunity for transcending the human condition. Simran is a globally recognized speaker and a catalyst for love, compassion, and humanity. She's the publisher of 1111 Magazine, host of 1111 Talk Radio, guide for 1111 Interviews TV, and an artist, poet, soul mentor, and so much more. She's the author of multiple award-winning books and is releasing the Self-Realization Trilogy of Living, Being, and Knowing. Her new release is titled Being the Seven Illusions that Derail Personal Power, Purpose, and Peace. And I'm telling you guys, you've got to sink into that one. Simran, welcome back on air. So good to see you. My kindred sweet sister, thank you for being with us today. It's so beautiful to be back with you again, Sister Jenna. And what you spoke in the beginning of the show, it's so true. The very places that our life brings us and makes us kneel are the places of the greatest transformation and truly seeing in the mirror who we are and what we've become on many levels. And it's in that embrace of being that so much transformation and transcendence can take place. So I'm excited to have this conversation today about being. Me too. Share with us the meaning of living and being, the first two of your new self-realization trilogy. Because I think it sets a tone for us discussing your new release. Yes, I created this self-realization series after my own experience of seven years of being really present to the very things you were describing, the people, the places, the things that were the most challenging, conflict-orienting, chaotic, dysfunctional, dark, and even those that were going to create the death of my identity. And from that experience, I noticed many patterns and a recurring cycle that all of us humans have throughout our lifetimes that we now have the opportunity to fully embrace for the purposes that they were created. And so my first book, Living the Seven Blessings of Human Experience, pertains to the multidimensional aspect of self that is walking in the world. It guides individuals through the cycle of experience that is life which continues to repeat over and over again as we master these unorthodox blessings, such as challenge, conflict, chaos, obstacles, darkness, and death. What's shared there is vital to understanding that we are deeply unconscious and dimensional, and that that allows us to rise into higher octaves of being and experience when we become aware of it. The second book is Being, the Seven Illusions that Derail Personal Power, Purpose, and Peace. And this goes into the deeper levels of being that are active all of the time, most of which we remain completely unaware of. And these multiple dimensions of being are what create the issues of our world. And this is probably the favorite of the three books for me because this is the one that's going to create change on the planet. This is where we acknowledge and embrace and absorb not only the shadow nature, but we discover the animal self, the monster, and the inner demons that each individual has, that we finally admit the truth 
of being self-absorbed yeah. and yeah. in how that's expressing in the world. So it's a really powerful exploration for individuals to take, especially if they do want to be of service in the world and really do desire to create change because we're creating the outside by what we are inside. Yeah, amen to that. It's interesting, Simran, because I remembered before my awakening, my motivation was really what's in it for me. The I, the me, the mine was rooted so comfortably in my being that I didn't even think that I was actually taking from society instead of giving back to restore it. Even though I might have been doing good things, my definition of good things, running my two nightclubs, you know, making sure everyone was drunk, that they wouldn't remember their problems or their sorrows. But the fact that that consciousness, when the awakening of God's light entered my being, and he changed that I, me, and mine into yours. How can I help you? What can I be of service for you? I have never realized how much more it brought back to me by having that release of the shadow, the selfishness, you know, the motivation that all of that changed. And it really brought me back to really understanding why I was here. Your new release being is based on a set of illusions that, as you said, they're derailing us. They're distracting us. Take a longer period of time for us to really understand our reason for being here. Tell us briefly about what are these set of illusions that might be distracting us from the real purpose. Yes, and, and going back to what you just said, you know, that place that you were with the I, me, mind, it really is from a place of innocence that we mm. are there because we're conditioned. We're brought into this world and told this world is a certain thing and we start to live by these constructs that are the framework of duality and human condition and experience. And that's so much of what this book is about. I speak about the illusions of time, the illusion of money, duality, of hierarchy, identity, evolution, and war. And these are things when you first think of them, you might say, well, how is time an illusion? I'm having to live in time all the time. It can't, can it be an illusion? Or how can money be an illusion? We need money to live. But it's this thing that's been built up over time to where as our identities form, we believe we can't be without them. And so we imprison ourselves within these illusions. And by doing so, we facilitate them in continuing. And I think that's what many of our systems and structures are showing us, is the cracking is actually the cracking of the illusion. But for that to happen, we have to become aware of how we are keeping these illusions in place. And we move from one expression of being to a different expression of being that will allow the world to transform. It's not that systems and structures are bad. It's just perhaps they now also need to come into greater alignment and find meaning for a new world that is more equitable for all of us. Absolutely. I think why we feel that there is suffering is that there is a third party in the equation between the soul and God. And when the equation of this third party intervenes into our intimate connection to source, then comes the ego, the anger, the lust, the attachment. You know what I mean? And that's the energy of intent that's being fed in the forming of these systems. 
And then what we're now seeing is just exactly what you said. It no longer serves the whole. So it has to break down to create a new and a better world. But the fact that we're so attached to the way we've been doing things and we're attached to the same system that wasn't beneficial for our lives in the first place, but we just got used to it, that now going back into the being and recognizing what is the real way of running my company, writing a book, raising my children, dealing with my spouse, running a country. What is the real way of doing this where it works for all? You said that being shares life's intention, vision, wish, and desire. What are those? You know, life really wants us to experience it. It wants to experience everything. It's why life came into being. And from the neutral perspective of life and creation, it doesn't really see anything as positive or negative. It sees it as expressions of being. And so life's intention is really to bring that sense of peace and measure of understanding and for us to deepen into that breath of relaxation as we explore everything that's there, but we come to this place of neutrality and equanimity around it. Life's vision for us is for us to understand what presence truly is. You know, we are nature, and if we would truly get that and live as nature is, we would realize that we're one of many creatures that are creating and that our deeper presence in that actually then starts to create the interconnectedness of the world that we are here to express as. And life's wish really is for each one of us to experience the ecstasy, the integration, everything that we are, from emotion to energy to humanity and form. You know, life is really designed to touch us deeply, to crack us open, to allow us to experience renewal and rebirth, and to continue to understand our expansiveness, life desires that we commune with our humanity. And ultimately, a lot of the things that are happening are to uncover not only the vices and the untruths and illusions that we've bought into, some of the vices that you spoke of earlier, Mm -hmm. but also now to broaden that spectrum, to find a place to calm our minds, to neutralize Mm -hmm. our emotions, and to master every level of our multidimensional beingness so that we can know that we are the eternity, the allness, the everything that exists and really embrace ourselves for that from the place of equanimity or neutrality. Yeah. You know, when we met many years ago, you were on the Rebel Tour. Remember that? Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) That was such an interesting time for you, I'm sure. And you served a lot of people going to towns and seeing folks all over. I will have to say your parents have birthed women who are just tenacious (laughs) in their spirit. If you don't mind, your sister Nikki Haley is no less in her tenacity and how she has been navigating her journey in life. But you say that your life is a playground through which different lenses are just emerging for you. You want to tell us more than what you mean? Yes. You know, my sister and I were so different and yet so similar. We are different in terms of our expressions in the world. She's in politics. She has ascended to incredible heights as ambassador and as governor twice and all the good work that she's doing in the world. And she's creating that change through her voice and her expression. And ultimately, her beingness, her presence to what she feels matters is 
that cell in the body of the cosmos that is activating the energy that she is required to activate. Mm. I came into the world to be more introspective, to dive into an inner world experience, to discover that my fame and fortune was through my own inner recognition. That to me was success rather than the outer acclaim that she ended up endeavoring. And for me, it was more about changing the world from the inside as opposed from the outside in. Both are valid. Both are necessary. I do believe that everything begins as a spiritual foundation. And until we are willing to really be radically honest about how we are engaging in many of these denser, lesser vibrational type vices, on the most subtle of levels, because most people don't even realize they're engaging in them. It's only Mm -hmm. in that honesty that they discover it. Only then can we rise to those higher places, wholeness, and true expression that we are here to embody. And so it's always fascinating for us to find a level of self-love and compassion for not only who we're being, but who everyone else is being, in understanding that every individual is that cell in the cosmos that is required to balance out the energies absolutely screwed over lifetimes. And when we can see each person in that place, then we can stay focused on what we're to do for the greater yeah. good. Would you say that there's a bridge that we all cross at some point in our life? Definitely. I think that we are that bridge. And that bridge is between the many levels of ourselves It translates externally as the many experiences that we have while we're living. But the true bridge is from humanity to divinity. But to get to humanity, we have to deepen into, you know, where we really have held that energy slothfulness, not just tiredness or apathy or indifference on a level of laziness externally, but that spiritual slothfulness that can happen on the inside where we just think, you know, this is life or I'm going to make a prayer or a wish and I expect it to happen because I'm entitled to that as being a human or being good or any of those things. And, you know, the same thing goes for greed. We have to look at the subtle ways that we're greedy or that we're jealous of others or how we hold the different places of pride that we have within ourselves that show up in the most minute and subtle ways. You know, these three books are about getting into the cracks and crevices that are deeply in the subconscious world of us. But that doesn't mean we can't access and find them if we bring deep presence to who we're being. And our life will show us that, like you said in the beginning. Yeah. And it's interesting because you use a virtue, honesty with the self, in order to access the subconscious, the deep-rooted personality traits, your sanskaras, your shadow work, whatever it is, in order to access that portal within the soul, self-honesty is crucial. And that's where, you know, when you look at certain situations, relationships, things that you encounter that start to make you feel a little uncomfortable, They're trying to lead you back to where your subconscious is, where the real happening is taking place, where it's really the cause of the things that you're going through is from that deeper place. How many of us, Simran, have done everything right? 
we crossed our T's, dotted our I's, and still things didn't work out the way that they should have worked out for us. What's the reason for that, that deep subconscious realm, man? And as you said, it is so subtle. You look at somebody, if you're a little jealous and you didn't pay attention to that feeling of jealousy, that is still traveling with you, creating the obstacles and the challenges that you will encounter further into your future if you don't address it now. And that's why I think your book is so powerful, like really helping us to address the subtleties that are, you know, really playing out in our lives. Well, it also speaks to that illusion of duality and the illusion of evolution, because we keep speaking of the world as this dual place. We keep looking at the world as good or bad, right or wrong, or that this needs to change because this doesn't stay in line with the way we should be doing things. So there's a lot of judgment, a lot of blame in the world for things that creates that seesaw of duality. But when you take an overarching look to everything, it's wholeness. You know, we can't go through a 24-hour period without having 12 hours or some certain number of hours of darkness. That is night. And we celebrate night because we need that for relaxation, rejuvenation, nurturing, healing, tapping into a level of being that on our waking hours we can't tap into. So nighttime serves us in many different ways. And we need daytime because daytime is where we express, where we have our light where we are able to see. And so in the same way, when we encounter these experiences, whether on the news or in our homes, that are filled with the darkness, rather than trying to push the shadow away, the animal away, even the monster inside of us away, rather than trying to say, I am above that, I no longer want to express that. What I'm trying to help individuals realize is all of these aspects are active all of the time. They are always there. It's not like we ever get rid of them. But in being present to what they're feeling and unconsciously activating in our experience, we can choose to express the higher while making sure that we are loving and listening to that lower part of ourselves and taking care of it so it doesn't act out in the world. And that's where evolution is the illusion as well, because we bought into this idea that we have to ascend to something that we even have to get to a higher vibration of something. They all exist at the same time. It's whether or not we've tapped into it, whether or not we've tapped into the God essence. If we haven't tapped into God essence, then we'll remain in the lower vibration. But if we know our God essence and express it in the way you so beautifully do, but at the same time can say, you know what, I don't want to take care of my mother with dementia. I don't like it. I don't like how I feel when I'm doing this. I don't like the way I react sometimes and get triggered, then at least we're holding the wholeness of ourselves. And in that way, we can have compassion and love for ourselves and others. There's something I was interviewing someone the other day, and she coined a beautiful phrase called romancing the shadow. And I thought it was so sweet. What was her name? Connie Zweig. And she says, it's time for us to romance the shadow, which means still embrace what it's not doing so well inside of you. Because that will be a means of really bringing to the service what you really want to get rid of. If you can't even love your limits, how are you ever going to conquer it? It's going to always need love to get over it. Now, I know that you were raised sick, but yet your mother was very open. She seemed to have had a very open-mindedness about her. And you could see what she's done with her girls. She's made you guys the most open-minded thinkers, whether it's one in politics 
being the governor of South Carolina, or whether it's you who is doing the change internally, changing millions of lives through your radio, your magazines, your television, stories on your travels around the world. Would you say that the way your mother raised you with your connection to God, did that connection relationship with God help you to really rise in the way that you see the being? Were you just doing that on your own? You know, I think there's an innate intelligence to life to shape us in the way that we need to shape and that the soul plays a role in making certain that certain things bubble up inside as longings or as innate wisdom that we carried through lifetimes. And my mother is a strong woman. She is unbelievably strong to have accomplished the things that she accomplished. And so she reared two very powerful daughters in modeling who she was. But she was very masculine dominant. And I think that's one place that a lot of women are. And I think my sister and I picked up that as well. And I, for a very long time, was a workaholic. Sometimes I wonder who plays the most dominant role in our lives, the father or the mother. I definitely would say my mother because, you know, she was a single mom at some point. But my father was still available for me. But my impact was mostly from my mother yeah. and my father, you know. Yeah. So in terms of the way that your mother brought up these two tenacious girls, what was the role the divine God, because in Sikhism, it's a very strong religion. And the stereotypes that come to that is that you guys are just really great at giving, bestowing, sharing, being generous, helping community. But you're also very strong in the way you interpret your connection to God. And I'm just curious about how do you relate in terms of your relationship with God and your inner being and the way that it's been growing? As children, I think we start off beginning to believe that our parents are God. You know, we lift them up on this pedestal. And my mother was an extremely strong and powerful woman. My father was more gentle, the one that was more deeply spiritual. They both were spiritual, but my father was actually the one that was more, to me, like a saint. He was the one that was very calm, very passive, very saintly. My mother was the one that was more bold, aggressive, almost more masculine. And I think that my sister and I picked up a lot of our more dominant masculine behavior from our mother. That was modeled, and it's natural. We tend to pick up what the more dominant parent behaves as, and that can be something that is the, the more positive light aspect or the balance of feminine and masculinity, or it can be the more shadowy, dense aspect, which is an imbalance of masculine and femininity. And... I think our lives then shape themselves so that we learn to utilize both sides and find our balance in them. Religion played a huge part in that my mother and father, and particularly my mother, would always tell us about the religion and tell us that it had the open doorways to all other religions, that we should be open-minded and open-hearted to everyone and everything, because they all led to the same path anyway. And that was a powerful teaching she gave us. But for both of us going to the Sikh temple, we didn't speak the language. We didn't understand what they were saying. And we interpreted that in our own ways. My sister converted to Christianity early on. 
And I think it was more so because she found that she could understand the language. She could hear and she could find her faith there. I somehow was able to, by osmosis, take in what was being spoken or sung, even though I didn't understand it. And it somehow comes through my writings and my own inner speaking. But what has been more profound to me is probably the dichotomy between the the incredible modeling that my mother did to shape us Mm -hmm. into strong women, but also the mother wound that takes place that is so deeply impacting on how we end up receiving the world or receiving relationships or receiving men. And I think for women now, especially, we have to look at ourselves, particularly our shadow and dense natures of being, to really recognize where we've become too dominant masculine, where we emasculate men, where we force ourselves on others or become workaholics and have imbalanced our feminine energy of receiving and softness and nurturing. Mm. And I think that as much as spiritually we want to say it's now time for the divine feminine and the masculine has behaved this way towards us, I really think it's more of a call to women to say, where can I now see how my own masculinity has dominated me, has oppressed Mm. and find my feminine nature because I do believe the feminine nature within us is far more powerful oh, yeah. than the dominant masculine. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because everything you've said, as I listen to you, our aim is to balance it all out so it works. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder if I'm able to be detached and loving and just so aware of everything that I've been through and will continue to go through, will it all matter anyway? It's like you watch a show and then you close it off and you're done, you move on to the next. You know, sometimes I wonder why can't we be that detached and loving to our own parts that we're playing? Sometimes we just get stuck on a scene in our movie and we just play it over and over again, whether it was a good scene or whether it was a traumatic scene and I wonder to what extent it really impacts energetically everywhere. There was something you said about how we're all these cells and we're really playing out and each cell has a very significant role in the drama of life, so to speak. And everything that we're going through is all a part of playing this whole thing out. There are grids you speak of within the being. And I would like if you can explain more to me about how they work And what are they for? Are these grids just different facets of the soul within you? What is it exactly? There are multidimensional grids within each of the three books, and they are designed to help individuals see not only vertically how they are moving through different experiences and aspects of themselves, but how across horizontally, they can see their human self, their shadow self, and their highest self activated at the exact same time. And so within each book, you will find seven steps, and each of the seven steps have seven levels. And those seven levels are parts of us that we need to deepen into, but they also correlate between living, being, and knowing. So for example, the illusion of time has everything to do with the blessing of life. And if we just stick with the illusion, then we're looking at a certain obsession. 
that time keeps us involved in. In this case, you know, time keeps us in emotional obsession. Time is all about past and future and the spikes of emotion that get created because of something that happened in the past or something that we desire in the future. And that keeps that illusion of time going. Now, how that translates beyond the individual is it collectively creates our global reflection of energy. So when we are constantly fluctuating through past and future and our emotions are going up and down, collectively all those cells of human beings coming together as one create the fluctuations of energy in our world that erupt as war, that erupt as a virus that comes onto the planet, that erupt as floods or volcanoes, that erupt as so many different things in our mm. outer world, but it's because we haven't mastered our own emotional obsessions. And it is due to one very subtle hole, H-O-L-E, that is within us, and that is the hole of slothfulness. Slothfulness is this apathy and indifference, this don't care, pretending, I really do care, I'm here to serve, I want to be a part of something, I want to be out there. But deep down, there is an exhaustion. There is a tiredness where we've really given up, but no one ever wants to admit that they've given up. So they suppress it so far down and we have to get to that place and that recognition and embrace. Where do I really feel exhausted? We don't want to try anymore because until we recognize that undercurrent is part of the foundation of everything we do. And that puts us into the cycle of exhaustion where we push too hard and then we get to a place where we're exhausted and then we pull back too far and then we just keep going back and forth. And that's another example uh, of the emotional Again, it comes back to that balance. I have to jump in here. <laughs> I have seen this in souls and I have watched it that, Jen, don't get into that place. That thing where you mentioned the exhaustion in the soul where you can see through their body language, the way they sit, you can see in their faces, you can see even the way they dress and take care of themselves. This soul has given up yes. on any spiritual process of growth and development. And it's like an energy that you can feel. And even if they're working with you, for example, in a team, and you say something to them, it's like, it's almost they're just not even aware that they're yes. not in the game anymore. They're just doing. They're just doing. And I wonder to myself, I call God Baba, as you know, and I'll talk to Baba and I says, Baba, why am I seeing this? I don't want to see this kind of a slothfulness in front of me all the time. And so I find myself going, Jen, don't even let that enter you. You have to stay strong. You've got to keep your energy alive because what I see there is a loss of life. What would you recommend for a soul who is in that place and doesn't even realize that they've given up on really making that spiritual endeavor? I just celebrated my 25th anniversary, yay, in Washington only. I was in New York and one of my mentors that I really love a lot, Sister Kala, she just sat with me the other day and she just says, Jen, you know, we're really proud of you. You've maintained your enthusiasm in such a good way. And I sat there and I listened to her. And the first thought that entered my mind, Simran, was, I didn't have anyone. It was just me and God. I have to do it. And then I wondered, why is it that even there's some folks that I work with or serve with, I'm sure they have their own level of their interpretation with God. 
but I can see it, Simran. They are no longer trying. And as if there's no enthusiasm with what they do, it's like they're being forced to just get up and open the door. And I can see they're spiritually tired. And then I keep saying to Baba, don't get me like that, I'm begging you. What would you recommend that when you get to that place, what is the step that you would recommend somebody to take? You know, I'm going to say a disclaimer for this second book, being the seven illusions that derail personal power, purpose, and peace, because it will be very triggering for a lot of people to read this. And what I would say is if you're seeing that in other people, it is only because you have suppressed it so deeply far down. It is in you. And I'm not just saying that to you, Sister Jenna. I'm no, no, I didn't take it that way because that's oh. what I was telling you, that I would talk to Baba and ask Baba, Baba, why is it that I'm seeing this? Yes. So I'm not saying that it's like them or me. I'm like, I don't want to go there. So that's where the work. So, yes. Yes, yes. And that's where I had to go. You know, when I hit my experience that I knew I had created in my life, my embrace was, will I commit as deeply to this place as I have trying to create light, trying to create beauty, trying to create spiritual awareness? Mm-hmm. And I sit in this place and see where it takes me. I stayed with it. And so with the illusion of time, to move from the hole of slothfulness, you have to go through the keyhole of devotion. And in that moment, devotion means going to the depths and sitting in that exhaustion, in seeing your own slothfulness, in uncovering where that is. And that will appear even more from the face, from the dress, from everything within you for a period of time to show that slothfulness. Because It has to be owned and embraced. You know, ultimately, I believe we're here for one purpose, to learn the true meaning of unconditional love for the self, Mm -hmm. compassion for the self. And in doing that, we then are able to give that to everyone else. And the unconditional love and compassion are not going to be for our light and our beauty and our expression and all the good we do in the world. It is going to be for our greed and our envy and our slothfulness our darkness and our monstrosity and our demonism that we put out into the world. That's where the unconditional love and compassion is required. So that keyhole of devotion is that willingness to stay present and love that place until that spark is fanned again back into aliveness, back into a place where it can stand again and the exhaustion has now dripped off of it in a way that it has energy again. Otherwise, it's that shadow masculine dominance of continuously pushing ourselves to go and to be somewhere. And I got to keep going and I got to keep doing this work in the world and never taking care of the self that ultimately becomes the self-hate that I talk about later on in the book of being. And it comes through saying, you know what, my transition is to no longer be the teacher. You know, right now, humanity or the world conditions us to be teachers, to be the one in the front that is helping to lead the way. But that's still a denser level of expression. We must move to being the example. Can we be the example of one that's willing to go to all the levels to find that balance? And we do that by cultivating listening. Oh, beautiful. I love that advice. And it's true. It's sort of like even if you're having a conflict with someone, it's not enough to just pretend that it's over. You really need to talk to each other and find out where did I go wrong? What can I do better? So even if 
you find that you're slothful in the way you're treating yourself on the inside, that you have to sit in that and embrace it and then really have a very intimate look at it and say, what do you need? What is the best version of yourself? You can't just stay like this for the rest of this birth and feel like you're okay just because you took a shower and put on a clean shirt. You know, there's more to you than just that. And yes, it's unconditional love. Look, you know, you and I could talk for years. <laughs> and we need to definitely come to a close of our time together. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? And are you doing any tours for the book, conversations, any online programs that maybe we can get some more information on? You know, right now I'm really focused on having people know about these three books because yeah. to me it has everything to do with the inner work. In the illusion of identity, probably the one that is going to trigger people the most, I talk about how our consciousness really is creating this world. And only when we are truthful about what our consciousness is holding can we change it. And I have a very radical concept in there about how it is our childhood wounds that shape our choices in life of our career. And until we're willing to recognize that our choices of career are for self-identity and significance, and that's what's creating the problems of the world, we can't change them. And so, for example, if I need to be a coach to coach other people into wellness, we need to be really clear that I need people to be in dysfunction for them to be well. That's the consciousness I'm putting in the world. If I need to be a doctor or a nurse, as beautiful as those professions are, for me to be significant, I need people to be sick. My consciousness needs people to be ill. For me to be an advocate in this world and have significance as an advocate and stand up for people, I need people to be marginalized. I need people to have troubles that I can go fight for. So until we're willing to be radically honest about how we're contributing to the issues Mm -hmm. of the world simply out of our own self-obsessed need to be important, we can't change this world. So true. Yes. So I invite everyone to discover their illusions that are derailing their (laughs) purpose and by how they're being. Kudos to your mother, man, and your dad for balancing you girls out. (laughs) Thank you so much, Simran Singh, for being with us today. Leave us with a website that individuals can run after you to learn how to dismantle their illusions. Absolutely. Please visit me at www.imsimran.com. Imsimran.com. Or you can go to 1111mag.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on air. It was riveting. Thank you so much, and <laughs> I always appreciate your conversations. They're always rich and beautiful, and it's just a pleasure. Me too. To be- Me too. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, you heard it. You've got so many tools for today to take your life that one level, next layer. Can you imagine all the things that came out of our conversation today, all the aspects in which your inner world must be percolating with ideas? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got- oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've done that. Wisdom is really important now. We need more truth. We need more gyan, knowledge, that can make us move towards a life of truth. You don't want to keep living this illusion anymore. It's so exhausting. And I'll tell you the truth. I'd rather be exhausted being in service than exhausted not being in service. First person to serve yourself. As Simran was saying, Let this be your life to develop the ability to unconditionally love 
whatever you've become and what you will be in the future. Let that be your first seva and then serve your environment, your loved ones, your community, your city, your world. Find your purpose now. Don't let this time pass you by, okay? All right, so check out Simran and get her three books or trilogies and definitely let us know what it did for you and how it changed your life. Thank you again for joining us. Remember, nobody can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect one of the reasons why the soul entered the body to play a part is that we're here to develop the art of loving each other the same. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Be loving. And I'll see you soon. Meditation. Intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. My new book that is out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can get it from Sacred Stories Publishing or on America Meditating Radio. The quieter you become, the more you're able to hear. One of my opening pages of this book. I have heard time and time again that when you go into the stories and the narratives of the 37 authors that are sharing with you their mystical experiences of the divine, something in you changes. It has already reached number one three times in mysticism category and in new age category for new releases. I want you to get a copy for yourself and tell me what you feel as a result of closing that final page of this book. Meditation. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.